Welcome to Fresh Take, your favorite weekly podcast that delivers a healthy dose of information pertaining to healthy lifestyles, organic and sustainable agriculture, and numerous topics related to the environment. Thanks for tuning in. Our industry experts are here to provide you with a fresh take on topics that can help you optimize your lifestyle and well-being. On today's episode, we'll be discussing Florida's natural resources and wildlife conservation. I'm so excited to have Chuck O'Neill with me, who is an advocate for natural resources and wildlife conservation here in Florida. Welcome, Chuck. Thank you very much. I'm really uh, looking forward to speaking with you today, Jessica. I'm so excited to have you here. So, Chuck, for our listeners that really don't know who you are or understand what we're talking about today, um, why don't you tell them a little bit about yourself and uh, what motivated you to become an advocate for natural resources and wildlife conservation? Sure. I am president of an organization called Speak Up Wakaiva. And along the course of probably the past decade or so, have been involved in a lot of different issues that deal with natural resources. I kind of got my start with the League of Women Voters and was their natural resources chair for the state for several years. And uh, in that capacity was dealing with the Florida legislature on natural resources issues as well as uh, local governments. All right. So you've been involved in this for quite some time. Yes. Well, what motivated you, Chuck, like to to get into this? Like what was your driving force? It's interesting. When I was uh, just a a young lad during the summers, my family would go up to the Catskills and uh, we would spend time with my uncle who lived in a cabin at the top of a mountain in the Catskills. And he would take me on long walks through the woods and From that point, I was able to experience nature firsthand and not through books or stories or movies. This is how a friend of mine, Bill Belleville, has helped people become acquainted with nature. If you take someone to the edge of a forest and let them experience it on their own time, they develop a passion for nature that there's no amount of book reading or movies or any other sort of media can substitute. So with that, I've always found that if you can uh, do as Bill said, lead people to the edge and let them experience it, whether it's our springs or rivers or forests or, you know, a first encounter with, with wild animals, certainly in this state, to me, when you see our largest land mammal, a Florida black bear, in his own habitat is just such a remarkable experience. I agree. It kind of puts you in awe of of what's going on around you. I can definitely relate to your experience of being a young lady. I didn't grow up in Florida. I grew up in around Tennessee and Virginia and kind of going up into Big Stone Gap, Virginia with my grandparents to visit my great grandparents. And like you said, just kind of being able to just roam free and really just kind of become one with nature. At the time, I don't think I had a, as much of an appreciation for it as I do now because I was just a little kid, you know, out roaming with my cousins, having a good time and enjoying myself. But as time goes on, uh, you really, you, you gain a, a knowledge and, and an appreciation for what you are exposed to that so many kids nowadays don't get to be a part of because they're 
cooped up in the house with video games and, uh, you know, their iPads or whatever the case may be. So there's really something special about being able to bond and become one with nature. So I can definitely have an appreciation for how you grew up as well. I agree. And Chuck, what do you do like in, in your day to day that motivates others to, uh, to advocate for environmental conservation? Well, what I've learned over the course of the past decade and in, in being involved with the league is that if you don't speak up and go to public meetings and, uh, state your case in a rational, well-thought-out manner, things begin to happen. We, we start to lose the things that are so special about Florida. The, the reason why 100 million people a year come to Florida, it's, it's funny. I was at a um, little place called Wakaiva Island on the Wakaiva River this weekend, and there was a, a, a guy in front of me. He had a British accent. So I asked him, I said, are you here on vacation? He said, oh, yeah. I can't do his accent, but he said, yeah. Um, he goes, I just love this. We were right up against the um, Wakaiva Springs State Park. Mm-hmm. And he said, we just don't have this back in the UK. And I said, why not? And he said, we're, we're full up. They've just expanded. They've built out. They, they did not preserve, uh, as we have done here, all the, our great state parks and, and national parks. And uh, his son was with him. His son looked to be about 18. And I said, what do you enjoy most? Do you enjoy the theme parks or do you enjoy this? And he said, oh, my, my son, he said, he's just crazy about this. He, he loves this. That's so amazing. And um, I said, but what about the theme parks? He said, look, we have a, a seven-year-old daughter. <laughs> right, that's right? all about the theme little, parks. Little princess, <laughs> right? So she wants to go to the theme parks. But when people, you know, after you've been a few times, it's really Florida's uh, natural settings, our, our waterways, our, our springs. I mean, we have the largest accumulation of freshwater springs in the world. Our state park, state forest, th- these are the things that are really drawing people from around the world to Florida, but they don't really get the same amount of attention as the theme parks do. You're absolutely right. Uh, because there's no, we don't sell tickets for $100 to go to a state park. You know, it's eight bucks for everybody to get in, but there's no real advocate right. for our natural lands, really. It's kind of left to, you know, people like you and I to, to right. talk about these things and, you know, go to a podium and stand up and say, well, look, you know, maybe we need to not cut this forest down. Maybe we need to not cut this these wetlands down. And the problem, Jessica, is if you have a stand of, let's say, 400 acres and somebody wants to develop it and build townhouses, they're going to make millions of dollars. But on our side of the equation, if we say, let's not cut it down, let's right. preserve it, it's not really generating income for anybody. Right. And therefore, you know, some government officials say, oh, you know, we need business, we need, we need income, we need tax revenue. Yeah, but you also need a place for people that they can go out into the woods and regenerate and recharge their batteries and you don't really get that if that stand of woods is wiped out. And what I see, you know, I, my, my house backs up to the Cave Spring State Park, is every weekend a line of traffic. I love it. Just parked out front, and they stay there for hours just waiting to get in because the park has reached maximum capacity. So as we keep growing population-wise, we really need to, to start a concerted effort of setting these natural places aside so that we do have 
these state parks for a, a growing population. And I don't think our land acquisition is keeping up with it. I, I know one of the things we'll talk about later is Amendment 1 back in 2014, where we, we set aside a funding source to buy natural lands to create more state parks or extend extend their uh, boundaries. And we're, we're not keeping up with that. And that's important that the legislature and the governor take notice that they have to direct the funds that 75% of the voters in 2014 said, hey, let's take a portion of these these dock stamps and let's go buy land and create more parks. And we're just not doing that. So this is one of the things that I think everybody who loves nature, who needs it in order to survive and to live a happy life, they need to start speaking up and, you know, walking up to a podium and, and yes talking for three minutes yeah it does make such a difference i've seen it i've seen it turn around commissions committees panels is an impassioned plea from you know just a a small group of of very thoughtful citizens who can express themselves i agree with you so much on that and i think too as a parent it's been very important to me to get my children involved in nature and, and like you said, wanting to visit the springs. And now that they're older, it's something that they do even without me. Hey, we're headed to the springs for the weekend. And I love to see them do that because I know that they're enjoying themselves and they're taking advantage of our natural resources, something that was put there for them to enjoy. And I think that, like you said, every voice matters. People need to really stand up and be an advocate for what they believe in and what they want to protect. And even for me, I even tell my girls now at the age that they are at 18 and 20, you know, if you want this to be around, you know, I can go and speak all day. You can go and speak all day. But I really think that it says something unique when we have our younger generation that, that takes a stand and stands up and says, listen, you know, this is something that I want to enjoy. This is something I want my children to be able to enjoy. This is important to me. This is something that I want to have stick around. And not that it, it means less, I think, coming from someone like you or I, but I think when you have the millennials, if, if, if you want to use that word, you know, t- stand up and take a stand too, it really has more of an impact for our, our legislation to see that, okay, wait a minute, we need to take a step back and really reevaluate and, and see what's really important. And so, like I said, I, I really agree with you that people really need to take a stand and use their voice and be heard. And w- with doing that, I know there's probably some different programs and initiatives that you've started. Sure. And just to piggyback off what you just said, uh, uh, one, one of the things that I, I was involved with is 2015, the Florida Wildlife Commission instituted a uh, a black bear hunt, and uh, my organization filed suit to try and stop the uh, hunt. And you know, when we were unable to stop the first one, we we organized people to go to the check stations and and just observe. And those observations were very powerful and helped delay having an annual hunt so it didn't happen again in 2016, 17, 18. Now that's 2019. But one of the most powerful speakers during that period of time when, when we were talking to the FWC was Megan Sorbo. She was 10 years old, uh-huh. 10-year-old girl. And she would bring, you know, her, her mom, of course, would drive her, and uh, she would bring her little pink stepping stool. And so because, you know, the podium was at, at the height for adults, and so she'd pull out her little stepping stool and, and then she'd have a, a great speech. But that, that was so impactful. Absolutely. So, you know, if people are listening to this and they say, well, look, I'm only 
13, 14, or 15, that is exactly the, <laughs> the right age to get involved because this is, this is going to be your land a lot longer. It's going to be mine. Absolutely. You know, I, I'm, I'm 63, so I'm, I'm kind of in the checkout I'm line. not telling my age. <laughs> no, we're not doing that. <laughs> not today. <laughs> okay, well, I, I mean, you, you do look good for 20. But, thanks, um, thanks. <laughs> but, I mean, if, if somebody's 10 or 12 or 15, they're going to be here in Florida for so many decades, and we need to really pay attention to what people in that age bracket are saying. Yes, uh, because we're only here for uh, you know relatively short period of time, and then they have to take over. And it's important to know what kind of Florida they want to see. And it doesn't matter if they can vote or not. It shouldn't matter if they can vote as long as they're able to express themselves at a podium. Uh, you know, the rest of us are confined to three minutes, right? For the most part, but I think. People under the age of 18, they should get more than that, really. I, I mean, we should really sit down and, and listen to them and definitely not discard their uh, point of view because their point of view is more important than ours. So, you know, I'm sorry to go off on that, that tangent no, about Megan, it. but she's just a perfect example of, of what you were talking about. Back in 2013, I helped organize an event called Speak Up with Kaiva at, at the State Park. And... We had Senator Bob Graham come in and talk and a lot, nice. of, a lot of great speakers. And we were able to bring in about 1,100 people to listen to him. And we started talking about the issues of eutrophication, which is uh, an overload of um, phosphates and nitrates in, in our waterways that are causing this algae buildup. Yes. And I'm sure you have it uh, up here in, in your springs up here. Yes. And then the Silver River, and uh, all, all, you know, we're, we're starting to notice a green tinge to the water, and that's this overload that comes from, um, you know, it comes from wastewater, it comes from fertilizer, it really comes from people, exactly and we're right. <laughs> we're living in a state that geologically was not designed to hold 21 million people, but we we have it nevertheless. So, you know, it's important for us to set aside some of our tax dollars to deal with the, the proper filtration of these nitrates before they get into the, into the waterways. And another thing that came up right after that was the legislature approved a program to sell off, chop up and sell off parts of our state parks and state forests, 169 parcels around the around the state and we, we just didn't think that was a good precedent to set i mean we need more parks if we have more people we don't need less, smaller right? <laughs> less parks I, I helped organize this with uh, some homeowners that lived adjacent to some of the parcels that are going to be sold off so we uh, hired an attorney and awesome. <laughs> went after it and uh, we were able to stop that program completely and uh, they haven't brought it back so it's one example of how, you know, again, a small group of people can get together and make a difference. And another group, you know, sometimes you win and sometimes you lose. Uh, the, the Florida Wildlife Commission passed a rule to allow the use of silencers in hunting. And even my hunting friends thought that was a bad idea because at least if you, you shoot a gun without a, a silencer, it makes a loud sound and you might hit one 
animal and the others run off. But with uh, silencer, I've seen it in action where, you know, you just can wipe out a group of uh Animals, all uh, wild animals, all at the I same time. I don't even time. know how you can call that fair or just in any way. I mean, I guess we all have our opinions, and <laughs> I'm definitely uh, against that. I mean, is it even really hunting at that point? It's just uh, kind of like, yeah, I, I, I don't think so. I don't see, any, I don't see a sport in it. Uh, you know, they say, oh, it makes it sound well. It kind of makes it sound like when you hit a golf ball, and it's not really the same uh, report as. Uh, uh, a rifle when it, it shot, but you know they, that was an administrative challenge, and we lost the the uh, challenge because um, the, our state agencies are set up such that it really uh, it, it takes a large threshold to overdo what a state agency has done. So it's important that people get involved in that process, and very few people spoke out against it when it when it happened and. You know, it kind of went by, and it, it's now in our our uh, Florida administrative code is is something that's acceptable. But who knows where will that will go uh, as time goes on. One of the things that happened after the Speak Up Wakiva event is I was contacted by Senator David Simmons, State Senator Simmons. He invited me to come into his office, and we were sitting there as we are now. And he said, "Chuck, he goes, I really want to clean up Florida Springs." What can we do? How do we do that? And uh, I said, well, you know, it's a very difficult thing. It's uh, politically very difficult. Uh, we know what the causes are. Uh, right. Is it wastewater and fertilizer? I said, but to, to restrict that gets to be a, a problem. And with a group of people headed up by uh, Senator Simmons, and, and uh, to his credit, he really pursued it. And it took uh, several years to get it done, but that's now the Florida Springs and Aquifer Protection Act, and it's in our Florida statute. So that was good. Kind, of, kind of a, a neat thing. We talked about uh, the, the Amendment 1, the right. Water and Land Conservation Amendment, and I led the league's campaign to get that on the ballot as it was in 2014, and it, it did pass. It just hasn't been implemented the, the way that the majority of people feel it should be. And... Uh, Black Bear Hunt, we talked about that. And also now I'm, I'm the statewide coordinator for the Rights of Nature movement in, in the state of Florida. And uh, that is uh, something that is really fascinating. It's kind of uh, developed out of a Supreme Court ruling in 1972 in which the Sierra Club sued Disney, of all people, hmm. Through, through it through through their developer to try and stop a uh, beautiful valley in uh, California that was a natural valley uh, from being developed and what the the Supreme Court ruled that the Sierra Club did not have standing because they weren't personally impacted hmm. uh, they weren't financially impacted uh, so they didn't have standing so Justice William O Douglas wrote a an opinion that said maybe, you know, in the case of nature, the best thing to do would be to give nature standing, to give that forest standing or to give that river standing and let people uh, bring an action in court on behalf of the river right. or behalf of the spring. Springs, right. And uh, so that that's what we're doing here in, in Florida, in city by city and county by county. It's just starting up. 
to grant through the legal process, through a vote, to put on the ballot should a spring or a river have the right to exist. Absolutely. And if if the majority of people vote and say, yes, that river should have the right to exist, then we as citizens of that county should be able to bring uh, an action to preserve that right to exist. So I'm all for it. <laughs> I'm all yeah, for it. Yeah, I mean, some people are like, what? You, you, you know, granting personhood to rivers? No, not really. But it is giving them the right to exist. And that's something that is not in our, our law right now. If if you were to, for instance, we have, a, there's an initiative in Alachua County right now, the Santa Fe River Bill of Rights. And if that river to, were to run dry right now, it wouldn't violate a single law because that's the way the laws are. It's so disheartening. It's, it's property, right? right? That's the way we view nature now right. is property. And, uh, uh, oh, well, I'm sorry, it doesn't violate the law, so it can happen. But what we're trying to say with the rights of nature is that it does have a right. It's an inherent right. I call it the restoration of rights. Yes. Because the indigenous people who were here long before Christopher Columbus landed recognized that these were entities that had the right to exist. So, you know, it's, it's funny when we talk to indigenous people now and tell them what we're doing. They're like, duh, right. of course. <laughs> this is what we've been trying to tell right. you All for, along. Right. for several hundred years. But it's taken us really, us, I say us, the, the European settlers or settlers from around the world who've come here, have, has taken us this long to realize if we treat nature as property, we're going to lose it. Right. So we, we need to legally bestow these rights on these things if we want to see them saved. I think it's just so sad that people have this perception of, oh, we can, like you said, when it comes to revenue, they feel like they can just take all this away. But I guess my thought process on it is if you didn't put it here, then why do you get to take it away? It's there for a reason. It, it serves a purpose. There's, there's a, a cause for it. So, I mean... I think that you and I would probably agree in, in saying that one of the biggest threats to Florida's natural resources is humans. <laughs> it's us. Oh, yeah. But outside of that, you know, what do you feel like are, are some more serious threats? Well, we have this overload of, of nutrients in the, in the water. And, you know, one, one of the, the good things and bad things about Florida is we're all sitting on top of this aquifer that is largely composed of a, a big limestone chunk of Swiss cheese, mm-hmm. and uh, that that happened, you know, thousands of years ago, when Florida emerged from the sea. It was the uh, combination of uh, the backbones and and uh, skeletons of fish and sea creatures that formed together this massive layer of limestone that water runs through. So when it rains. The, the rain only goes through a, a small amount of, of soil, 30, 40, 50, 60 feet of soil before it hits this limestone. And then it drains into the limestone and that forms uh, channels that come out at the lowest point, which are our springs. Mm-hmm. So, you know, everything that gets put on the ground eventually winds up coming out into our, our riverways and uh, through the springs, there's a, 
a small amount of uh, what they call attenuation where, where some of the nutrients are taken up by grass or plants. But for the most part, it, it all winds up there. Same with uh, wastewater treatment plants. They apply the treated wastewater to the land. It's flowing. And it's winding up in, in our springs. So this is kind of a, what a biologist recently told me is the combination of climate change mm-hmm. and eutrophication is creating a broth right. for algae. Right. Because it's warm, it's packed with nutrients, it's nothing that's going to happen to prevent this from from forming. So what we're seeing in places that, that never saw this before in the St. John's River and uh, Lake Washington, uh, that is the water source for uh, Melbourne, uh, and the Caloosahatchee River, Lake Okeechobee, St. Lucie Estuary, we're seeing the cyanobacteria. And the cyanobacteria, when it meets with salt water, because it's fresh water, a freshwater organism, it, it begins to die and it throws off these microcystins that are very toxic. And uh, it's, you know, it can kill dogs. There are places where there are signs up that say, do not touch the water. That's, I mean, that's just beyond sad to me that the water is so polluted that you can't even touch it. And I talk to people all the time that they think that, oh, well, like you said, that Oh, these problems are being caused by corporations or large businesses, and they don't even understand the impact that they're having in their just, I don't care if they live in a, in a condo, just their yard, that fertilizer use, you know, uh, how much they water. These are all things that have an impact as well. And I, I really, you know, I speak out frequently to people about limiting their fertilizer use, not using synthetic inputs, you know, changing how they do things, because every single person, whether they realize it or not, making those changes makes a difference. And like I said, yes. I, I think that so many people just, if, if they could just wrap their mind around that, that if more people came together to do these things, um, I really think that we would see a difference in, in what the, the future of Florida's natural resources look like. Thank you guys for listening to today's episode. I hope you guys enjoyed the conversation as much as we did. As many of you already know, FOG is a 501c3 not-for-profit organization, which means we need your help to keep all of our content free to the public please consider making a tax-deductible donation today. We would really appreciate your support. 